believe in the fight game. Hello everyone, this is Charles Yao with Believe in the Fight Game on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team and every sport in L.A. and more. We believe in sports. Do you believe? <laughs> Mr. Charles. Sir, Greg, how's what? it going, brother? Bro, it is going fantastic, as fantastic as it can be under the circumstances. How are you hanging? I feel like... Yeah. I, I, I could have been good friends with you because there's people I know from Jean Jacques that I train yeah. with on the side mm-hmm. and we're good friends with it. I've never seen them on the meta Jean Jacques because I have six herniated discs on my neck. Yeah, I remember you were saying that, yeah. Yeah, man. So, like, there's something about Jean Jacques Academy at HQ where, like, yeah. dudes are just, they're just all homies, dude. It's just different. Very good people there. And, you know, even though that I've only really seen you in person a few times there's something you know there's something and i've had you're not the first one to tell me this where certain certain people that i've met in in particular in jujitsu you have this friendship with them that doesn't necessarily have to be you know consisting of something that you know you engage in physically all the time and see each other but there's a certain sense of closeness with some people that you feel that you just kind of know them and that you're you're good friends it's very very interesting you definitely fall in the in, in that category and i always appreciated your support and you know and i always really wanted to do my best to make the time that you would come by to headquarters you know the 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 best possible and you know and i'm really grateful to jujitsu that i've met you and so many amazing people you know that i'm friends with yeah and with all my injuries because uh uh, because of the herniated discs it's affecting my shoulder so i've gotten like adhesive capsulitis and frozen shoulder but maybe yeah so so i've had frozen shoulder for almost two years two months now so my range of motions limited on my right how did you get uh how did you get those herniated discs what happened okay <laughs> i was about to graduate college in 2004 so the uh-huh. month before i graduated i trained at john jocks one time a week at gold course one time a week at sidia uh-huh. tong uh mm-hmm. with crew michaelowski uh-huh. once a week uh-huh. And then I traded in the Screamer with stick and knife mm-hmm. fighting because my goal was to fight at Dog Brothers for the stick. Oh, man, that's hardcore. <laughs> right. But because I trained so foolishly in so many with so many different people, not not that it's any of their faults, because, I, you know, with 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 strikers, if you train into the ground, you got to like empty your cup. Yeah, definitely. You know, because it's a different math. And um, yeah. I ended up. I won't name the name of the academy. You can probably guess which academy, but I got dumped with an Uchimata and in class by a brown belt in judo, but this mm. judo this judo guy did not belong to that academy. Yo, man, I got to say, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. You know, I, I can't tell you how many injuries I've heard that come out of judo. It's just, it's really, really tough. You know, it's, a lot of people don't, don't, don't realize how brutal judo is, you know, especially in the beginning stages when you're learning how to fall and you're learning how to throw. You got to know, you know, it's yeah. tough, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry to hear that, brother. Yeah, but, you know, I train once in a while and we'll talk off mic. But, um, mm-hmm. dude, seriously, man, like you, like all these guys at the Jean Jacques Academy, and I know you're with Master Carlos now, but for the listening yeah. audience, um, I've grown 
uh, an affection and affinity for all these brown. At, at that time, Greg was a brown belt, but you know, like there were just it was just like lions. All these thirty-eight yes. and up lions on that mat. And and I know where you guys are known for sharks, but for me, it was like watching fucking Nat Geo. Yeah, it, it was always a very hardcore uh, training environment. I remember even, uh, you know, I started jiu-jitsu in 2004, and, you know, I, I learned about John Jock later, and I heard stories, but he's he was always known to have one of the roughest and hardcore academies just, just out there, period, you know what I mean? And they had a hardcore reputation always, ever since I've heard of him, you know? So when I started training, I realized that the reputation is true, just hard, hard training, you know? But it's very university-like because in drill work, in the higher seniors who invite you to train with them, it, it, it is almost like scholastic, not to be ironic, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah, very true. One, one definite thing about, you know, that, that I think differentiate, differentiates even still Jean-Jacques Academy is if you take, if you take the average age of the uh, just overall uh, student base, it's going to be a higher, probably, like you said, like mid to late 30s average uh, age versus some other academies where you have a lot younger guys that have more to prove. And, that, you know, it's 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 a lot less of a camaraderie because when you train at John Jocks, everybody really wants, even though that everybody wants to train hard, everybody wants to help each other and grow because we're only as strong as the weakest link, you know what I mean? Especially the lower belts. We've got to get them solid so they're able to push all of the, the students, including the upper belts, more and more, you know, so it's, it's a trade-off and it's important to give attention to the lower belts. So I want you, I, obviously I put whoever I interview in this high pedestal before you Thank started, you, of course, man, well-deserved before you started training in jujitsu in 2004, did you train in any other arts? The only art that I trained in, if you can even consider this an art, was basketball. You know, unfortunately, because I'm 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 a big guy. You know, I'm or at least when I started jujitsu, I was six six. Probably now, maybe like six four or something. But I played basketball, and uh, and you know, I had some opportunities when I was in high school to to kind of take it to the next level. But unfortunately, life has its different twists and turns. So I just continued to play, and I would always put myself in these kind of uh, let's just say less than desirable neighborhoods where I knew that the pickup games were hardcore, you know, like Venice Beach also. And I would always play basketball and. You know, then I started jujitsu and, you know, I was in good shape. It's just when I started jujitsu, uh, none of my athletic abilities that I learned in basketball helped whatsoever. And I was in really good shape. And then I got introduced to jujitsu and was very humbled by a very small guy. I, I, I'm a total nutbag for basketball. I'm a hardcore Laker fan, but I'm going to stay yeah. on the track because I feel like we could go left and this becomes like a Joe Rogan episode. Yes, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. You stay, you keep us on topic. Sure, sure, but... But in, in regards to that athleticism, it's interesting that you made a statement that it didn't help you. Kind of like what I said earlier, like with Muay Thai and being a smoker fighter, I felt like the cardio was so different for jujitsu. I was like, wait, I've fought in Muay Thai. I've fucked people up. And why is this not applying to jujitsu? Is that kind of like what you're saying when you started training well, yeah. jujitsu? Yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, I mean, where I play hardcore basketball for hours and hours. I mean, like for two, three, four hours. And sometimes, you know, you keep winning the pickup games and, you you know, you stay on the court. And I had endless cardio. And then back in uh, 2004 on, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, January 14th, 2004, because I remember this date, it, I stepped onto the mats of this very small 
uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy uh, in North Hollywood off of Cuenga. And, uh, and, and it was just like, you know, the door opens, you walk in and there's a little, uh, little row of, uh, you know, the laminate flooring and the instructor was on his back and he goes, Oh, Hey, what's going on, man? You know, good to see you, you know? And I was like, okay, well, what are you? So I just take your shoes off in here. Let, let, let's roll around. And I said, <laughs> uh, what, 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 what does that mean? He goes, Oh, just, you know, just come on down and we'll, we'll wrestle. I'm all, well, what do I do? And he goes, um, well, just try to choke me now. I've seen, obviously, you know, Hoist just killing everybody in UFC in 1993, and this is 11 years later, but I have no idea how to choke, but I'm thinking, man, this is a small guy, and I'm a, I'm like, I was 6'6", six, six, like 255, maybe 260, in good, good shape, you know? I took my shoes off. He was on his back. He was about maybe like 170 pounds, like, you know, like a wrestler type. I put one knee down, I put a second knee down, he stuck his hand out, I didn't know what to do, but apparently, you know, you do that slap and bump thing that we all do, and sure. uh, he pulled me into a butterfly guard, I started floating, Charles, it took me, literally, he, 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 he had me floating, I had no control, uh, he reversed me, got on top, choked me, it was like about 30 seconds, then I thought I was ready, okay, I said, okay, now I'm ready, now, 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 I, <laughs> now, now I get it. <laughs> he tapped me another probably five, six times and maybe another 30, 40 seconds. And I got to tell you, I, I was just dead. I, I could not breathe. And that's when I realized I have to learn how to speak this language because this very small, capable human being just destroyed me and my physical size and strength had absolutely no effect. So to paint a picture for the listening audience, let's say you're in the median. You're 6'5", between 6'4 six, yes. and 6'6", six, six, right? Let's say you're 6'5". Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How tall was uh, this instructor? five he he kept saying he's five nine even though that he was probably closer to five seven five eight and it's it's irrelevant because you know and and he was a very good wrestler you know he wrestled in college he uh i think he was a black belt in judo and he was a black belt in jiu-jitsu even though at that time i was told that oh, you can't ask you know who who promoted uh you know your professor to black belt because that's kind of like a taboo so and i just believed him because he was just destroying myself and all the other students but most everybody in that academy was white and maybe just a few blue belts with one purple belt who was the assistant instructor and is it political to say his name or the academy or should we oh no that? no not at all it, 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 he he taught me so much uh it was uh d'artanian uh Bagby. he was in uh, north hollywood I think now he's under uh, Ribeiro Jiu-Jitsu. He, uh, at that time, I didn't really know who, who he was under. I mean, kind of later, I, I found out that he trained with uh, Vonder Braga downtown, I think. But then Vonder, uh, I think Vonder was uh, is a Hickson black belt. But then Vonder kind of, I think, had some issues with Visa. And I, I, I became friends with Vonder. He's very nice, good family. And D'Artagnan just had really hardcore training. I don't ever remember signing a waiver I don't remember anything, and it was just hardcore training. I started training like two, three times a week, and I lived in uh, off of Wilshire and La Brea at that time. I was trading security, so I lived right where that, uh, I think right across the street from E! Entertainment, where the SAG, uh, after, in the Museum Square, in the apartments behind Museum Square building, where yep. uh, I think SAG is, and I would drive all the way from there for class at uh, like five o'clock or six o'clock all the way up to Cuenca. It'd take me like 40 minutes, you know, cause the traffic in LA, even at that time. But 
I I just really loved it. And it was just hard training because I didn't know whether we we're going to do jujitsu. I didn't know whether we we're going to do some kind of judo. I didn't know, you know oh, put gloves on. We're going to start striking like, what? you know, and then, like, then well, it, and then all of a sudden then we're doing wrestling and it was just this, this hybrid of like everything, but it was the core of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I really learned a lot. I uh, got injured a lot. I mean, a lot. And if I ran my academy that I currently have in uh, Texas, uh, uh, the way that the, the way that I started at in 2004, I wouldn't be able to retain students. It just it, it was just insane. It was like, let's see who we can make quit so that we understand that they're going to stick around and they're worthwhile investing time into teaching. Ironically, uh, he had D'Artagnan had a gym in the Valley. I don't even remember. This is so long ago. Mm -hmm. I taught Muay Thai and Filipino Escrima at his academy for a month. At Which one was it? Was it the one on Coenga? Because then I like several years later, he uh, taught. At, I mean, he moved to, I think, uh, to school on Vineland, I believe. It was his own academy at that time. And actually, after teaching there, that's what yeah. convinced me to train in jiu-jitsu. Bro, how crazy is that, huh? <laughs> Nuts! So you and I could have possibly crossed paths. No, I, I mean, seriously, because, I, you know, there's a couple guys that I still stayed friends with. Like uh, like Matthew Polino, I think he, he was he was he went by Tiger, you know, and he was into like all kinds of martial arts, and he's a lifelong martial artist. I think he's a not I think I know he's a black belt under Alberto Crane, and I think now he teaches up at a Paragon in uh, in Ventura uh, up there. And uh, it just there were a lot of great guys, but man, it was really really hardcore. And I got to tell you that at the moment, you know, at the time, I I, I really uh, thought about wow, you know, this is really abusive type of uh training because d you know as everybody called him nobody called him d'artagnan i only learned d'artagnan because i saw it on one of his trophies in the back there and everybody called him d and he he even came up with a name for me because he had kind of like a name for everybody sure so because i was so big he called me cubed like not squared but cubed you know what i mean because cubed. it was so much bigger yeah cubed you know so he was like cube cute you know so i kind of got that uh, nickname but I really appreciate the uh, foundation that he uh, exposed me to because it was such hard training. And uh, I trained under him for almost two years. And um, I, he promoted me to uh, Blue Belt, I think, probably at about a month and seven, I mean, a, a year and seven months after I started with him. But man, I was training like four or five times a week with him. And it was just, it was hard training. I was even taking privates with him too. So. Yep. And. Uh, I herniated my disc. The first really bad part was in December of 2004. So it's a strong oh possibility that you and I may have like interchanged between classes. Cause I, I taught both the knife and the Muay Thai. Uh, I taught the knife and the scream. I, I gave him a couple of free lessons uh -huh. on, on the weekends. And then Muay Thai was like twice a week, but I just, my schedule, I was still going to school. I was working two jobs. I just couldn't handle it. But it was the place, wasn't that the place off of, it had to have been the place Coenga. off of Coenga, where he lived in the back. Right, exactly. It, and he drove the yellow Hummer and the I, red uh, Mini? I, I never saw him drive anything. I just went to the academy. Uh, I got you, I got you. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, for the listening audience, they don't realize, like, even up to the mid-2000s, there were people that were, because I considered D'Artagnan the guy that embraced jiu-jitsu that came yeah. from a striking or, or a street mind. Yes. You know, and I think for people in our generation, 
it was really a street mind. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, jujitsu had to had to be applicable on the street. There, there was at that time, you know, there there was no real emphasis on sport jujitsu. The jujitsu was all rooted in like what Hoist, you know, showed jujitsu to be Gracie jujitsu in uh, you know, in UFC in nineteen ninety three. You know, which which most of us that were training at that time or started were, were influenced. The only reason why I never started jujitsu, I never knew that it was even available to learn because all you saw was either karate kung fu or you know chuck norris studios and i just kind of wasn't into that and had i known that you can go to uh to learn brazilian jiu-jitsu or gracie jiu-jitsu i would have i would have done that in the 90s yeah and people because we didn't have the benefit of social media you bet those hicks on backyard groups wouldn't be a backyard group that would be like a large academy oh yeah oh absolutely you know absolutely i mean are you kidding me i mean I, oh, I, and I remember D would also go down to the Gracie Academy in Torrance too. So, which he didn't tell anybody too. You know what I mean? So it was he was still like under Gracie Jiu Jitsu because he's training with Vonder, who's you know Hicks and Gracie's training at the Gracie Academy with Henner Huron and Hoyson uh, Horian and all that. You know, so it was it was awesome. But I found all this a little bit later on. So it's okay though. I, I'm incredibly grateful to D. I, I really have massive respect for him because he really, you know, he really. Taught me a lot. I mean, a lot. And I'm very grateful to him. I think a lot of people don't realize a school like what D'Artagnan does, it's almost like your first trimester because it's like it it shows you the palette and then you can decide after training with him or keep training with him to go, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to focus on this style of jujitsu. You know, I'm going to. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he deserves its own place in in at least in the locale Southern California jiu-jitsu scene, you know? Oh, for sure. Oh, and Charles, we have one more thing in common. Mm. I started, I started training in uh, January of 2014 and uh, sometime around uh, mid 2014, D had me rolling with no hands. So he said, put your hands behind your back. And I was rolling oddly enough because I, I, I was really excited about jiu-jitsu so i had my little brother who at that time i think he was like 12 or something like that but he's like a big 12 year old and i rolled forward over my shoulder but i didn't properly know how to do a shoulder roll and my little brother dumped all his weight on me ah. and i heard this i heard this pop and i didn't really think much of it but i'm like ah you know my neck brother two three days later I started, uh, I'm sitting at my, uh, you know, in my office, uh, trading securities. And I noticed that, you know, cause I got like eight monitors in front of me and I was like trading all hardcore and all that. And I noticed that I have numbness in the very tip of my index finger on my left hand and my thumb and brother, I'm telling you in about a week, I couldn't use my left arm. I had to stop training for about two, three months. I lost all muscle. It was, I couldn't even drive. I had to hold my left hand. I, I, I thought about like you know how Bob Dole used to carry that pen in his uh in his arm, <laughs> right? Know? I thought about doing that because I could not even drive with it. I had to lay down, like I, you know, I'd be driving, and then I, the pain would be so excruciating. I'd have to just get out of the car, lay down on like concrete in order just to let the back kind of just relax. And D talked me into coming back and restrengthening my neck and all that like three four months later i just didn't know what to do you know so i, I really learned a lot you know i guess i, I always say like this you know in jujitsu we will injure ourselves however jujitsu will fix us and heal us back you know what i mean yeah professor jay zavalos um 
mentioned like, hey, man, I think it's best that you actually start training, even though you have the herniations. But that's another sidebar comment. But you're that. But that's just a statement I made to compliment your point. Um, Thank you very much. And I love you. Yeah. And so after D'Artagnan, how did you lead to training with? I assume this is the Torrance Academy with Hoyce. Well, no. What what happened was is that um, at uh, I I was promoted to blue belt, and then uh, it was I believe uh, I started training in two thousand four, so it was about towards the end of two thousand and five, and I noticed that I was having these. I was at home, and I had moved from from um, uh, from uh, Wilshire and uh, La Brea from that that, that apartment. And I had moved in with my girlfriend at that time, who, you know, I had kids with all that kind of stuff. And uh, we moved to uh, to Sherman Oaks. So it became very difficult for me kind of to kind of find time to drive to D's, even though it was a little bit closer. But the problem was, is that I woke up one day and I had a horrible stomach pain. I didn't know what it was. And it turned out that I had appendicitis, but like really bad appendicitis because I didn't go to the doctor stupidly for uh, like two, three days. And finally, when I went to the doctor, he goes, oh, uh, yeah, listen, we did the ultrasound. Everything is good, except um, here's the thing. Uh, you need to get your appendix taken out. So let's go across the street to uh, St. Joseph's Hospital over in uh, Burbank. And we'll get you admitted and we'll get that appendix taken out. And I'm like... Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit busy. I got a couple of meetings to go to. He goes, oh, he goes, fine, no problem. He goes, but remember, if you leave, there's about a 99% chance of your appendix rupturing and you're probably going to die. But it's okay. I'll see you next time. I said, <laughs> all right, let's go. I said, okay, let's go. Let's go. You talked me into it. So I had my appendix taken out. And after that, it took me about probably about four or five months uh, to uh, to just be able to uh, function because I didn't know how bad it was. I spent like about over a week in the hospital and it was uh, it was tough, man. So I started uh, training in Woodland Hills at this uh, place that used to be uh, it was called L.A. Boxing off of um, off of Corbin and Ventura. And I had an office in the back and I was walking downstairs kind of and I was walking by L.A. Boxing and I saw on the window it said brazilian jiu-jitsu so i walked in there one day and i'm like man i gotta i gotta train jiu-jitsu again because just i just I, I you know it's like a it's like a narcotic you know but a good one and uh <laughs> and i walked back in i walked into uh into la boxing and in the back there was uh you know a gentleman his name was uh patrick king he's got i think a hoys gracie uh, academy off of um in in northridge over there uh, and he was a brown belt at that time. And he, I didn't know anything about him. And I said, Hey, listen, you know, I used to train jujitsu. I really wanted to train. He goes, yeah, come on in train and blah, blah, blah. And all that. I even told him, I said, I don't know. Do I start a white belt again? He goes, no, I keep the blue belt. Long story short, I started training and I didn't know who he was under. Cause I knew that, you know, you don't ask. And then I learned that Pat, uh, was one of Hoyce's original students from the Gracie Academy, back in uh, 1996 i believe and i just started training jiu-jitsu and i just kind of like rejuvenated again with a lot of like life and everything that i missed about it and i didn't know how close pat was to hoist and one day a couple months you know after that um i think i started with uh, pat probably in 2007 i believe 
And I didn't know that, you know, we're all Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because I saw the, on the geese it said Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And then I, call, you know, I kind of talked to him about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, I started training with Hoist and blah, blah, blah. And, he was, you know, and we became very good friends, like, like literally, like practically like best friends. And uh, there we kind of I found myself under Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And Pat goes, hey, listen, Hoist has a seminar that he's doing. And he just called me at uh, Neutral Grounds over in Long Beach where um, – Ivaldo Lima had his academy at his uh, old location before he moved to the new bigger one. And before I knew it, bro, I'm, I'm literally standing on the mat with Hoist. And I think uh, Hoist was there. I think Rodrigo Gracie was there. And I'm just literally like starstruck. Cause you know, I grew up in LA. I don't, you know, I'm, I see celebrities all the time. I don't care, but man, like Hoist. And I was just blown away, bro. It was one of the most insane experiences of my life and that's that's when it really got real you know and yep. uh that yeah oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no 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 no. i was just saying and that's when it really the reality hit me that this is really hoist gracie jiu-jitsu i'm not just wearing a hoist gracie jiu-jitsu gi i i literally am standing next to hoist and you know and hoist also at that time had this small uh little uh little spot that he shared with uh with with a gentleman by the name of i think his name was nono in uh in hermosa beach and it was right by the beach over there and pat you know we used to go down there and train on sundays for like three four hours and we used to go to the beach hang out and stuff it was just absolutely amazing and that's what hoist trained for like the Matt hughes fight and for all these different fights because nono was this hardcore I think he was from France, uh, but he like, you know, was in French Foreign Legion and he was like in Lebanon and Beirut when they, you know, in the early eighties and all that. So he was this hardcore, you know, hardcore dude, you know, and very mysterious guy, but he owned the whole like block of uh, properties over there. And we would train down there on Sundays and, you know, sometimes Hoist would come by and Halleck would come by, Rodrigo and all that. And it was, just, it was really just, it was surreal. It was like, I'm like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, for, uh, for my jujitsu path, you know? And then uh, I've seen a few pictures before. I think you, you, you went, uh, started training at John Jacques. You, you also trained under Gracie Baja. Well, the, he, here was here here was the uh, the tricky thing because Hoist lived down in uh, uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, okay, mm. and I lived in Tarzana. So, and Pat lived in the Valley also. So, you know, and and, it, and Pat wasn't exactly at that time into building his academy. Even though I told him, I said, you know, open school, and you know, everything. And he was like, no, nah, you know, I just kind of and his his student base wasn't you know i was like the highest belt at purple belt mid purple next to pat so he was really the only one that would push me push me push me and hoist was literally like on a you know away a lot because he does a lot of seminars he's out of town a lot so it was very difficult to actually get down to train with hoist and i had already a at that time like a you know three-year-old daughter and you know like a whole business going and all kind of stuff and pat used to uh come over to my house and i had matt set up in the garage and i used to train with him and i asked him it was like i think it was like uh, 2012 and i asked him i said listen what do i need to do in order to get the brown belt you know he goes well listen he goes look you need to do exactly what i did hoist is not in town a lot and you know the and we and, you know and, and pat would take me down to gracie academy all the time and 
you know, it's like not not that I was a member down there, but I got the opportunity to train with like Enhanner and Huron and take classes from Horian and Pat was very welcome down there because they all, you know, he was like the, the old school, one of the original guys. And I asked Pat, I said, what I need to do to build up my jujitsu to get to the next level? Because I, I, I really want to get to earn my black belt. He goes, man, he goes, look, he goes, you got to do what I did. You got to go to different academies. You got to build up your own jujitsu. You got to train with different people. And uh, you just got to, you know, just got to do what you got to do because, you know, horse isn't around a lot. And, you know, who knows, you know, when we'll catch him next time. And unfortunately, I don't have the student base to get you like, you know, forged into, in, you know, into the next level, you know. And I said, so it's okay for me to go to other schools? Because, yeah, bro, I mean, listen, you know, of course, you yeah. know. And Gracie, and I was in in Encino. I was, um, or at Tarzana off of, uh, what was it, Reseda, just south of the boulevard and uh, Ventura. And at that time, Alberto Crane had uh, Gracie Baja Encino, which he was the owner of. Because Alberto, I think, when he left New Mexico, and I was friends with Alberto at the time, not like super close friends, but, you know, I, I knew of him and, you know, saw him in like tournaments. And he was very nice and gracious, very nice family. And Alberto moved to a Burbank and he had, he opened up Gracie Baja Burbank, Gracie Baja Hollywood, Gracie Baja Pasadena, Gracie Baja Encino, Gracie Baja uh, Woodland Hills. And I think like Gracie Baja uh, Burbank, obviously Alberto kept for himself, Gracie Baja Pasadena, he... I, I believe sold to uh, Orlando Sanchez, Gracie Baja, Woodland Hills. He sold to Rob Gooch, who, which is now GTA something something Gooch Training Academy. Uh, Gracie Baja Encino. He sold to JP Garcia, Juan Pablo Garcia, uh, back in sometime in 2012. Gracie Baja uh, Hollywood, which was literally like I think a La Brea in Hollywood. Uh, he sold to um, oh I forgot what his name is. I feel so horribly that I, his name slips uh, slips in my mind. But he's um, ah uh, oh, I forget. You've named and you've anyways, named some good ones though. So you're you you know you're doing all right. Yeah. So and and basically and I went to Gracie Baja Encino because my nephew was taking jujitsu at Gracie Baja Encino. So I kind of had a relationship there because. My nephew at that time was like 10, 11 years old, and he really liked it. So I was taking him to those classes. And because I was there all the time, and I kind of knew JP Garcia, Juan Pablo Garcia, and I talked to him, I said, hey, you know, I talked to my professor. Is it okay if I train here? And he was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Not a problem. You know, come train. And, bro, I thought I was in heaven. They had like 30, 40 people there at a 6 p.m. <laughs> class, and then another like 20, 30 at the like, you know, advanced class, uh, you know, at 7 p.m. And I was just getting thrashed, you know, by all these tournament jujitsu guys that I'm like, wow, this is what I need. And I started training there, but unfortunately, due to various uh, jujitsu politics and circumstances, that school, and I think incredibly expensive rent in Encino that school uh went under and i started training there i think at the end of 2012 and at the beginning of 2013 it already began to financially suffocate due to incredibly high rent and you know difficulty with enrollment and all that kind of stuff but i was teaching there because juan pablo asked me to uh, to teach and i love teaching i was teaching at the fundamentals class and the, the the kids classes as well and you know i made a lot of amazing relationships there and uh, my nephew started, I took him to Jean Jacques 
at the end of 2012 to train because I felt that he had a better kids program and Jay was teaching the uh, the kids over there. So I started going to Jean-Jacques at end of 2012 in a similar capacity while teaching at Gracie Baja and Sino. But I never felt that I was like at Gracie Baja. I felt that I was more like under like Alberto Crane somehow. I don't know. It was weird because it wasn't like connected to Gracie Baja, even though it had that uh, franchise name. And pretty much I, uh, you know, saw a lot of amazing things at, uh, at John Jocks and I felt that the training there was better. And then like three, four of the kids, parents would, were taking their kids to Gracie Baja cause we had a good kids program and a lot of kids too, but they were also taking them to, uh, John Jocks. And that, that was a little bit weird. Cause you know, it's like, you typically don't do that. And uh, they talked me into going to Jean Jacques, and I started taking my nephew to Jean Jacques, and I really liked the way Jay was teaching the kids, and I appreciated that uh, very much. And even though that I was teaching the kids at the uh, Gracie Baja Academy, I continued to take my my nephew to uh, to Jay's, even though that it, oh, it's because at, at Jean Jacques it's only Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. and Saturdays at 10 a.m. So I think just because the three days a week classes versus like six days a week at Gracie Baja, that's why some parents stayed at Gracie Baja. And that's why I knew that I had to go when Gracie Baja kind of fell apart because everybody left, you know. I asked this question in the spirit of you being a part owner of an academy. And I also asked this question in the spirit of you being a multi-learned black belt. Yes. Do you think Patrick King, in observation and thinking about back, you know, reminiscing now in, in in this moment that we're talking, do you think he was just more of a practitioner? Like his mindset was more into just practice instead of running an academy? Hindsight speak? You know, when I met with Pat, he loved jujitsu so much that all he cared about was the smart. He, he didn't, yeah, to, to, to teach it and to train it. He didn't care about monetizing it. He didn't care about opening up his academy. He had a spot in uh, LA Boxing, and that's where I met Thor Skanky also. I don't know if you know Thor. You probably do. And, uh, you know, Thor. Never met guy. him, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and, and Thor was uh, teaching boxing over there and striking. And at that time, he started his amateur career over there. And I remember we did a lot of, uh, you know, training with Thor. And, you know, it was just awesome because I had a chance to participate in what, you know, became to be a really awesome just adventure for, for Thor in a professional direction. And I remember we do a lot of, you know, one, a lot of his fights down in uh, Orange County. I think there were the uh, amateur fights and semi-pro. But, um, but Pat never wanted to monetize any of it. And I told him, I said, bro, I said, let's let's open up an academy, let's do it, you know, it's Hoist's name, and, you know, we can do it, and, and in fact, to tell you very frankly, I talked Pat into opening up an academy in 2011, but mm. I told him, I said, hey, listen, I said, let's open up an academy down in uh, Rancho Palos Verdes over uh, by Hoist's house, because this way, even though it's farther for us, it's closer for Hoist. There's a bigger chance that he will be, uh, you know, able to stop by there and actually be there. You know, and I know Connery was at that time still like a yellow belt. And uh, I said, let's let's think about it. I'll put up the money because at that time I had quite a quite an excess amount of money that I could just drop in an academy. And, you know, and we had this one blue belt who had a karate studio just off of PCH in um in uh what do you call it off of uh, uh i forget where, where where it was but um but um 
he had uh, a karate studio in Pat, and I would go down there on like Thursday and I think uh, Sunday to teach jujitsu. So, and that guy's name was, uh, let's just say I won't name his name. Sure. So, uh, the nameless blue belt was having problems because his rent was, uh, his, his lease was ending. And I told the rent, uh, the, the nameless blue belt, I said, Hey bro, I said, why don't we do this? How many students you got? He goes, I got about a hundred students. Ooh. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Why don't we do this? How about you, Pat and I open up? a Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy. There's literally a 5,000 square foot facility down and around the corner, uh, right literally off of PCH. Hoist lives literally 10 minutes up the hill. I'm like, I'll put up the money. You bring, my contribution will be, I'll put up the money. Your contribution will be, because you live nearby, you transfer all your students. We'll open up an academy. We'll have, you know, we'll talk to Hoist because obviously we have to, you know, get permission to use the Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Network name because, you know, you can't use Gracie Academy or Hoist Gracie Academy, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for, you know, obvious reasons. Sure. And we'll open up and uh, we're going to be an awesome academy, bro, on uh, PCH where there's 50 gazillion cars driving by, you know, every day. And he goes, yeah, 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 let's do it. I made a foolish mistake of not uh, checking his... Um, student base to, to, to see if he actually had a hundred, which I, you know, obviously regret, but I just, you know, at that time just didn't, didn't think of it. So long story short, I put up the money. We got a, we got a space, we got an Academy and open up Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu uh, network in, uh, I, there was a city. It begins with a, I forget what it's called off of uh, PCH over there. And, um, and it, you know, it was awesome, but the only problem was is that we started that whole process in 2011, and at the beginning of 2011, my mom got really ill with uh, cancer, and I had to admit her into uh, Kaiser in Woodland Hills, and that completely consumed all of my time because she got admitted, I think, on January 27th of 2011, and she passed away in uh july of 2011 six months later and it was insane so i couldn't really go down to the uh you know rancho Palos verdes to go teach down there and you know hoist was going down there when, when he could pat was going down there when he could and unfortunately that academy fell apart because the nameless blue belt began to uh let's just say take the uh money from the tuition and instead of paying the rent and instead of paying our expenses, he kind of paid his expenses and it just turned into a problem. And Hoist basically, uh, caught onto that and we caught onto that and we couldn't salvage it. So, you know, and that's kind of how that whole situation ended, but Pat never really wanted to monetize it. So Pat was very passive in every way. And uh, I'm just very happy to see that he finally ended up opening up his, uh, his Academy eventually over in uh, Northwood. So, and, but Pat is, the real deal you know he fought in mma i remember he uh, he had uh, i think his uh, first professional fight back in like 98 or something like that and he uh he, he's he's just a really good human being you know very dedicated and just a great instructor and again i'm incredibly grateful to, to pat for you know for all that i learned from him because it's i learned much more than jujitsu that he taught me through jujitsu you know so ahead of his time to welcome you to train with other people too, especially oh, coming yeah, from I, his lineage, right? 
Yeah, because you know that that's like, oh my god, that's like the most unacceptable thing that you can uh, you can possibly do. But he really uh, he really opened my eyes, and if not for him, I would never have uh, I would not have been able to uh, to to really get to the level where I'm at. I would not let's just say like this. Bottom line, if not for if not for uh, D, if not for um, Pat. Uh, even if not for, you know, Alberto Crane or, or, or JP Garcia, I would not be where I am now. And I'm incredibly grateful to, uh, to be where I'm at now and to have the opportunities that I do. And even though that some, you know, black belts or, you know, believe that, oh, you know, I started under so-and-so and I got promoted by them, you know, the black belt, although that's, that's great. But at the same time, I'm incredibly grateful for how rich and abundant my jiu-jitsu journey has been because I have an opportunity to pass down all these stories and all these experiences to all my students. And I have so many stories that I don't even I don't even realize because it's just like, you know, they're sitting somewhere inside my brain that just pop up when, you know, when I'm teaching or, you know, when I'm just hanging out with my students and, you know, and now being with Master Carlos after being with Jean-Jacques for for several years i mean it's just it's it's i mean i'm i'm incredibly incredibly blessed you know what i mean yeah and a lot of people need to hear a story like this because well maybe not so much for the gen z and the millennials because they'll just tip out and fucking train with whoever you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but they need to understand that one before it was way stricter two exercise your options but be in the moment and appreciate where you're at and it's not the end of the road if one door closes then you move on to the fucking next you know sorry for yeah and, and, and you and, and you have to i didn't leave d because i wanted to i left d due to uh due to circumstances that were just out of my control i mean i i, I there's just no it was either i don't continue training jiu-jitsu or i start training at la boxing you know what i mean it was one of those things and you know and i and and i know d was very mad at me for uh for leaving and i know that even though i saw him at the uh uh at the ibjjf worlds like literally like i mean i don't know it was already when he was under uh salo and shanji rubiero i saw him and he just kind of you know and i told him you know i saw him and his wife young me and uh and, and he had a he had, he had a son that looked exactly like him too you know and i saw him like d and he like looked at me and he gave me that whole like nah it's you you know look and i said listen i just want to tell you how grateful i am to you for everything that i learned from you i just wanted you to know because i never had a chance to say that and i should have even though that you know uh, i departed for whatever reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with you I I just really wanted to express to you how grateful I am to you for all that I learned from you. And if not for you, I would not be here right now, you know, because I think I was competing on the, on that weekend. And he, um, yeah, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, you know, and he just kind of, but he's one of those guys that's like that old school guy that, you know, kind of doesn't let go of that whole grudge feeling and not grudge, but I don't know what it was, but, you know, you get that energy. It, from, it's uh, that sentiment, from, that older sentiment. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at least yeah. you can wash your hands. You know, you did everything, and 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 in your end, your conscience is clear. So, but moving towards uh, Jean Jacques, yeah. Interestingly enough, of course, we all know he's a legend. But how much yeah. of of his height and stature, close to matching yours, help you in your game? You know, well. 
you know, in you know, listen, I'll I'll be very uh, very frank. When when I was when I was promoted to brown belt and when I showed up at uh, at Jean Jacques Academy, I I asked uh, Jean Jacques, I said, you know, do you, uh, do you want me to just I don't know, put on a white belt, a blue belt, or what? Because or do you want me to let you know? Do, maybe you want to decide what belt I should wear because I don't feel appropriate coming in here and you know because it's just you know you're you're such a legend and you have so many incredibly high level guys and it was and, he, and john jack's amazing he's amazingly kind and amazingly gracious and, and just it's amazing personality but at the same time hardcore serious you know how he is and he goes no 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 just wear whatever belt and you know your brown belt wear the brown belt but brother i did not feel like a brown belt at all i got so destroyed over there by brown and black belts i've never been that destroyed in my life i had I, I i can keep up with the purple belts and i didn't feel like i owned my brown belt at all you know what i mean and you know how it is when you wear a belt that you're not ready to uh let's just say uh carry but it's you know heavy belt especially a brown belt you know what i mean i got so destroyed i realized one simple thing I need to build myself into a brown belt because I don't feel like I'm a brown belt and I'm wearing a brown belt. So I did everything within my power in order to build myself. Thanks to all my brothers over there who were just, as I learned later on, I learned several years later on that obviously it's weird that a brown belt comes in to an academy that did not move from somewhere far you know what i mean sure and it's a bit odd that oh well this guy's you know lives locally for you know well what's up well, what happened is he a crayon or whatever the you know they, they call it and i explained to john jock about that situation exactly as i broke it down for you know uh, during our interview right here about what happened and you know and he goes no absolutely i understand and i had a call i and and when i came there to train I knew that Gracie Baja's falling apart. Eventually, it's going to close, and I think it turned into systems uh, gym of some kind. You know, they talk Karl Maga over there, some jujitsu. But I, I told my students that I'm going to Jean Jacques, and when I started, I got so destroyed at Jean Jacques that for me it was just glorious. I knew I found my home. Uh, the, the the teachings and 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 just my my ability to have access to such an incredible legend that I've heard so much about that I've like idolized and. You know, and 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 just like worshipped him from for all of his accomplishments and the Machado brothers. Just overall, it was just it's like I just found myself in the presence of of a, a true jujitsu god and a living legend. And for me, these are the celebrities that I uh, am just like literally mesmerized by. So it took me a while to kind of get used to the fact that I'm learning jujitsu. Literally, as I started saying it, I'm learning jujitsu from the source. Right from Jean Jacques, you know what I mean? Literally, I'm learning jujitsu from the source, and I'm getting destroyed, and I couldn't be more happy. But years later, just kind of fast forward, and we'll come back to you know when I started there. I learned that there's this little policy, kind of when new brown belts come in, kind of out of nowhere, that the uh, upper belts uh, understand that uh, they have to really pound the hell out of the, uh, <laughs> the the new brown belt because they need to be certain that this is a serious uh, brown belt that's not just like coming in there to kind of ride on the coattails kind of quickly uh, swoop up a black belt and then just bail out you know as there have been some in the past that did that so i got absolutely demolished and thrashed charles in ways that i just loved uh, I, I mean uh, 
every second of you know and i it took it took me probably about a year and a half before jean jacques even acknowledged me as a brown belt wow after I started. yeah yeah well I, I i guess that's the underpinning of him accepting you right it's like no 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 i'm not political in that sense of accepting someone from another school but you better know where you're at now this is the ocean yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I learned where I'm at, and I knew that I'm literally at like the, the Harvard of Jiu-Jitsu. And I really, and for me, what was really important, because John Jacques had a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon classes that I am present as much as I can, and to let my actions do the talking and not just my talking. I mean, I, I do have a reasonable kind of, you know, presence on, on, on Facebook, let's say, and not that that's like a big deal or anything. It's just that I was able to, I was on Facebook when kind of jujitsu kind of got popular. So I was able to become friends with a lot of guys on Facebook that hit their 5,000 friend capacity that you can't be friends with anymore. You know? right. So I have a, a really awesome base of, uh, of friends on Facebook that are, you know, very core jujitsu, uh, jujitsu community. So for me, I'm very proud of jujitsu and I'm very proud of, you know, learning from John Jock and very proud of my training. And I, and I was very vocal about how proud I am and, you know, would, would check in and post and all that. But I really wanted to make sure that John Jock and Jay uh, and Marcel, uh, you know, Mark Armstrong and, you know, and all these black belts, you know, that, that I had such a, you know, Todd White and, you know, and Eddie Bravo would come by sometimes and, you know, and all these guys that, that I just like, was like, wow, you know, I mean, I can't believe that. The, the, first of all, I mean, like you show up at a 12 o'clock class and you got like, you know, 10 black belts. Felicia O came back to a train with John Jocks. I think she moved back from the East Coast like a couple months after I started over there. And I remember when I first started at D's, D would tell a story about this legend, Felicia O and ADCC. And I'm like, oh my God. And he, and he would say like, hey, you know how much bigger you are than her? She would kill you and i'm like wow you know and now here i am and now i'm like good friends with felicia and it just it's 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 really bro i mean i was truly in heaven you know what i mean and uh the training was just on a whole other level of elite that i never really uh experienced before you know without you know with all due to respect to my previous uh jiu-jitsu uh, instructors and uh for for good reason john jock is just truly truly an amazing human being and has an has built an amazing uh, academy and i just you know pray that uh that that this whole virus situation doesn't you know do too much damage to the jiu-jitsu community because that's it's taking a hard hit you know for you who's listening who's new to the game and barely exploring this podcast felicia o is one of the baddest bitches in jiu-jitsu that's the og of the female dirty dozen a lot of yeah. people don't know that because, you know, it, the exposure is a little bit past its prime in a sense because they were all building their legends in, in like the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is an important meat to, to this episode dish. So how come the move to Texas? Because I suspect I, 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 suspect I know the answer. But societally, why the move? You know, um, uh, I'll I'll tell you like this. Uh, 
I had my uh, first first child. Well, I didn't give birth to her, obviously, but I mean, <laughs> right. you know, uh, my my daughter was born in 2010. It was the most amazing experience of my life. It, it completely transformed me as a human being in in every possible way, as you can imagine. Uh, my my second daughter was born in 2014, and uh, there's something incredibly precious and amazing about being the father of daughters. Uh, I always, before I had children, I always, the most important thing, I just wanted to have healthy children like anybody wants to have. And you can't decide, obviously, the sex, you know, of your children. But I, you know, being in jujitsu, I saw what an amazing difference there was between parents that had boys, parents that had girls, parents that had boys and girls. And there was something so precious about fathers and daughters relationships that did not really exist between fathers and sons because it's just a different dynamic. Fathers and daughters and mothers and sons. It's this cross dynamic that that really kind of exists, you know, and, 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 you know, mama's boy, daddy's girl. And uh, they just transformed me in every way. And jujitsu was always an incredibly important part of my life and it kept me healthy through difficult times. It kept me sane through times of massive pressure, whether, whether financial, whether with work, whether, you know, just, just overall jujitsu has kept, has, has helped me cope with and and get through a lot of really hard times in, in my life, you know, and I'm very grateful for all the downs that I have because without downs, you don't have ups. And I always wanted to strive to open up uh, a jiu-jitsu academy. And, and I'll explain to you why. You know, um, I grew up in Los Angeles in, uh, in, in San Fernando Valley. And w- without any disrespect to anybody that lives in Los Angeles, it's, it's an incredibly vapid and materialistic place to, to, to grow up. And when you're growing up in there... Um, I, you 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 don't realize what a really materialistic place that you you grow up in, and plus the fact that I was born in Soviet Union because I'm Russian. There's also and I, but I I was never really part of a, the Russian community, which is you know I think the biggest Russian community next to Russia is in Los Angeles, and I think then New York, and uh, in uh, in the San Fernando Valley and West Hollywood, as you see, there's a lot of Russians and Armenians having traded gold cores. I, uh, it's, it's an incredibly materialistic, uh, uh, culture, this Russian and, and, and Armenian culture. It's about where you drive. It's about how, you know, your house, what you wear, where you live, you know, okay, you have a nice house, but now where's your nice house? You have a nice car. Okay. What kind of wheels you got in your nice car? What year's your car? Okay. Well, you have a watch. What kind of watch you have a phone? What kind of phone? And it's this constant endless race that you're running towards this materialistic finish line that you never cross because you cross one and then it just moves up and up and up and you don't even realize you're in this crazy race. And then money becomes to this incredibly uh, huge focal point that you don't realize really is not important because money is, you know, is a fuel and an oil and lubricant that just moves your life forward. It's not like a real destination. I wanted a better life for my daughters. I saw uh, Los Angeles and the Valley deteriorate over the last like three, four years and just take a really major decline. And I really didn't like what I was seeing. 
I, I, I didn't like the, these hollow relationships that my daughter, my older daughter, who's, uh, who's going to be 10 in, uh, in May that she was building with her classmates that were more so these weird dynamics that the kids were not friendly, that you can't take your children to play with kids after school because you don't know the parents because they don't have any desire to have, you know, to be friends with you. And, you know, and I'm not going to drop my daughter off at, you know, strangers house just because she's got a classmate that, you know, wants to play. And, you know, and I, and, and I noticed that my daughters are, don't have a very, very fulfilling like childhood that you know that nobody none of the neighbors play with each other the kids are all like everybody's all you know just kind of closed off and i wanted a better life for my children and my best friend from the age of 12 lived in uh lived in texas in uh in dallas fort worth area and he loved it he's got you know a 12 and a nine-year-old today and he always told me you know move out here come on out here come on out here and finally, thanks to my uh, brother, uh, Russell Peters. I don't know if you, you know who Russell is. I'm sure yes, you, sir. Yeah, I don't know. Have you ever talked to uh, Russell? No, but uh, I, I, part of this question list and a stamp of how gangster you are, after you answer this question, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap some more about it. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, anyway, so and, and because uh, I, I and thanks to, again, Jiu-Jitsu and John Jocks, I met Russell uh, when he was a white belt and he came to just a general class and with no dis disrespect to my brother, Russell, who I love immensely. He's one of my, my great dear friends. And he is truly one of the most amazing, one of the most intelligent, one of the most kindest, one of the most giving, one of the most successful human beings I've ever, ever met. I had no idea who he was when he came in as a, as a white belt. And, um, uh, he came into an afternoon class and I saw he had a white belt and I would always strive very hard to be the one. Cause I got very, uh, close with John Jock from the standpoint that I trained a lot. I was very helpful with all the students. I trained hard. I competed because at John Jock's, a lot of the students don't compete. I always put myself out there and I let my actions speak louder than, uh, than words. I would always be involved, especially when new people would come in to work with lower belts. And, you know, and I think Jean Jacques saw that. And I think that he began to kind of understand that, that I'm, I'm really committed. I'm incredibly loyal and, you know, respectful and dedicated, a family man and love my family and, you know, love jujitsu. And he, he saw that he learned that. And in time, it didn't, didn't happen rapidly you know and i didn't expect it to and then russell showed up i think it was probably about three years ago and i had no idea who he was i just saw a guy that looked kind of you know maybe a little bit about a place it's a you know group class and and uh you know i kind of partnered up with him as i typically do with all the new students to make sure that they come back and don't get pounded on by some blue belt who's got something to prove to the new white belt and uh, we just hit it off and we became friends. And then like, you know, a week went by and he came back a couple of times. And again, I had no idea who he was. And then like a couple of weeks later, I think like a month after we met, he goes, oh, hey, you know, I because he heard that I had a, at that time, I think my daughter was like seven or six, yeah, seven. And I had like a three and a seven year old. He goes, oh, hey, I, I, I got a, you know, six year old daughter too. And I'm like, oh, wow. He goes, oh, hey, you, you want to come over for a play date? Bring your girls. I'm like, okay sure and uh you know we trained and you know i always love talking to him he's always like entertaining guy again i had no idea who he was and he uh he goes here here's my address and on i think it was a saturday uh we came over to his house i think it was at two o'clock and he was picking up his daughter from uh her mom's 
he was about two hours late because Russell's not a big fan of being on time, which I think time functions on Russell's terms because it's it's definitely Russell's world in, in Russell's world, understandably so. And when we pulled up to uh, the Hidden Hills gates, I was like, what? what's going on here? I'm like, interesting. I'm like, I don't know who he was. And we pulled up to his house. And once I pulled up to his house and saw the gargantuan size of, of his house and, you know, walked inside and, you know, one of his uh, security guys let us in and I was just blown away. I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, we just kind of started talking and I looked up who Russell was and then I realized who Russell was and I was very uh very much so surprised that this is this is Russell and after that he he showed up and you know we were just kind of talking and he's very humble he he never talks about himself you know jiu-jitsu he didn't reveal anything and you know that he's some mega superstar and one of the 50 greatest comics of all time and we just became very good friends and uh probably shortly thereafter we were driving I remember on uh on Santa Monica in his, uh, his Maserati. And he was going on tour in, uh, I think it was to Australia for like six or eight weeks or something like that. And I asked him, I said, bro, I said, tell me, cause he was telling me about this incident in uh, Indonesia where, uh, he got into some kind of altercation with some guy that, you know, shook his hand, wouldn't let go. And uh, Russell's all telling me that, you know, he like kind of pulled him in on him and all that kind of stuff. And they had a pull, pull and Russell's like hardcore. He, cause he, he boxed, he wrestling took jujitsu back in the nineties. Uh, uh, you Golden know, gloves, like, I think also, yeah, yeah. You know, and he like, you know, he's been boxing since he was a kid. So he's no chump, you know, he will fuck your shit up. You know what I mean? And he, he won't hesitate to because Russell's, you know, this funny guy. People think, oh, you know, this Indian guy. But he will fuck your shit up, okay? And he is a big and strong guy. He's like 220, you know? He's a big dude. He's brawling. And he knows. He, yeah, and he knows. And he's no nonsense, too, because, you know, he comes from a background that's, you know, not exactly the the the, the softest background. And he will fuck your shit up. So, you know, so he told me about this incident. I think that they were in uh, Indonesia. And, uh, and, and I asked this, I asked him, I said, well, tell me what's up with your security guys. Do they, are they trained? He goes, no, he goes, they're not really trained. He goes, they're just, uh, you know, my buddies from, uh, you know, from back in the day. And he goes, Hey, he goes, but why don't you come, come on tour with me? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, you want to, do you have your passport? And I'm all, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, come to Australia with me. I'm going to Australia. And then we're going to doing this whole thing. And I'm like, oh, bro, I'm like, I, I got to get a passport. He goes, ah, okay. He goes, you know what, next time. And when he came back, I got my passport. And uh, he start, I started going on tour with him because I had some uh, business ventures that, uh, that were kind of ending. And I had some time. And uh, I said, hey, listen, why not? It's my brother, Russell. And, uh, you know, he took me, uh, took me with him. And we, just, I don't know, I probably did 50 shows with him on his deported tours. And uh, the last one that he uh, filmed the Amazon special for on uh, Amazon Prime. And uh, it, it, it really opened my eyes. And he, you know, we stopped by Texas one time. And I visited my brother Rick over here and uh, just really loved what I experienced here. Loved the people, loved the environment. And uh, we stopped by, did a private with Master Carlos. And I was just like, wow, what an amazing human being. This is like the Einstein of jiu-jitsu, you know what I mean? John Jock's like, you know, yeah, he's an Einstein, but he's like a Michael Jordan of jiu-jitsu. And Master Carlos is like an Einstein of jiu-jitsu. And I was like, wow. And 
long story short, why Texas is because after the deterioration of uh, Los Angeles in the Valley, I wanted my daughters to grow up in a place where they would have a better life. And I wanted to open up a jiu-jitsu academy. And Charles, I'll tell you like this. I always pursued money. For me, money money was the end all be all. Even though that jujitsu uh, pursuit of my uh, you know promotion of black belt that definitely was important to me, and it was one of the second most great, third most greatest accomplishment in my life, which is you know my daughter one, my daughter two, and my you know getting promoted to black belt by a, a literally an icon, John Jock. And I think I'm black belt number eighty nine or eighty eight, so I'm under the first one hundred black belts of uh, John Jocks, and. Um, I always wanted to do something with the black belt because I knew this, that, you know, when I'm long gone and my time has, uh, has come and I am deceased, I want my daughters to remember me as having accomplished something much greater than providing them with a lot of, uh, you know, material uh, things. I always want my daughters to remember me as uh, a dad that was kind, that was giving, that was of service, that that helped enrich the lives and empower the lives of many people. And you can't do that when you're hyper-focused on money. And I knew that I would have to leave a lot behind and sacrifice a lot in order to focus on this uh, ultimate goal for my daughters to have this example so that they always see their dad striving to be the best version of himself, changing lives, enriching, empowering, you know, children, teens and adults, training law enforcement. You know, we opened up in November 1st, but brother, I mean, we, we, we hit over a hundred students in the first like two, two months, you know what I mean? And that's something that most academies don't do in years. And we did it in the worst two months in November and December. I thankfully with the blessing of Jean Jacques, and the incredible graciousness of Master Carlos was able to move to Texas, not like leaving John Jackson, just going to Master Carlos because that would have never worked. I never would have done that. But between Master Carlos and his wife, Lindsay, and uh, Master Carlos' business partner, Adam, and, uh, and Professor Brad, who's the head instructor at headquarters. Bro, I, I have landed in, in, in a new home that, that I, I just can't even explain to you. How much I cherish. I mean, words cannot describe it. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, my gratitude is just, just so immense. I, I can't, I don't have the words to, to convey how grateful I am. And my daughters love Texas. This is my, my older daughter said, you know, Papa, Texas feels like home. LA wow. felt like a endless sleepover. Oh, so it's, yeah. the, she's so fully connected to the region. Well, brother, I mean, I have a thriving, massive uh, uh, kids program and all the kids. I know all the parents. I have uh, uh, kids classes going from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. I got three kids classes, 4 to 430, 4.30, 5.15, 5.15 to 6.15. I got kids coming on and off the mat. My daughters come there just to hang out with their friends. My daughters have never had so many friends that they do as they do now. Thanks to my academy, thanks to jiu-jitsu. It's the most beautiful, blissful thing. I'm sitting on the mat teaching jiu-jitsu class, whether to kids or to adults, and I look off and in my beautiful academy, I know you've you know, seen pictures of it. It's amazingly beautiful, wonderful, bright academy. And I look and I see my girls hanging out with their friends and all the kids are playing while the parents of the kids who were training are now on the mat training because they are you know, they can see their kids and they know their kids are safe and we have a kid's area and, you know, we have a second overflow mat and the kids are all hanging out and I don't care about the noise. I don't care about all that. If I need to, I'll tell them to be 
quiet. And we have a 30-person adult class. Meanwhile, we have like 20 kids sitting on the mat over there playing while they're waiting for their parents. Because a lot of ho- a lot of kids in Texas are homeschooled, you know what I mean? So it's not like they have to be in bed too, uh, too early to get, get to school, you know. So, brother, it has just been an incredible blessing. The, 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 some of the most amazing, kindest, most wonderful, supportive people are my students and my friends and my family in jiu-jitsu. Thanks to jiu-jitsu. Thanks to Master Carlos. And I wouldn't be here without Master Jean Cha. It's, it's because of him. Because he called, talked to Master Carlos, Master Carlos talked to him, and it was just like handoff, you know what I mean? I feel like I, I got voluntarily traded, I guess, from one incredible team to another, you know? And the people at, uh, at, at a headquarters at Carlos Machado and uh, in Farmer's Branch have embraced me in an amazing way. And like I said, Master Carlos and Lindsay Machado and, and Adam Carl, who runs the whole business side like a business mastermind, a Professor Brad Scott, who's jujitsu's elite. I've never, I mean, I've never been destroyed by one training partner and teacher and mentor as I have by Professor Brad Scott. I mean, this is just amazing. He's like a legend of, of the Dallas Fort Worth area. So, brother, I am you just in in jujitsu heaven. What can I say? And a lot of people don't realize that could have been a really bad tense moment from Jean Jacques to Carlos, but because of how you handle yourself, then it's like, oh yeah, baton pass. Here's here's Carlos. You know, I I built up an incredibly wonderful, close and open relationship with Jean Jacques. And uh otherwise he never would have promoted me to black belt. Jean Jacques takes promotion to black belt, I think, with the utmost of serious seriousness. Well there there were brown belts when I started there, uh with Jean Jacques who were who are still brown belts now, who were there before I was and who still have not been promoted to black belt. And uh, you know, I'm sure that they probably, uh, you know, don't care too much for me because of my work ethic, because of my commitment, dedication, and my getting, you know, finally accomplishing black belt before they even did. But I'll tell you like this, my, my, my relationship with John Jacques was, uh, was amazing. It was closer probably, you know, between, you know, Jay Zabalos and, and like, you know, Marcel uh, Santos, who's, uh, you know, put the front and he's also black belt and, and uh, got from it was promoted to black belt while I was there, and and has been with Jean Jacques since he was I think a teenager, and you know, and, and a lot of the upper black belts there they've been there for many you know twenty years or plus and all that like Todd White and all these guys, and even though Todd White went to uh, uh, moved to Austin and has Jean Jacques Machado Austin, uh, I had an incredibly wonderful relationship with Jean Jacques. So when I began to consider moving, I asked him. I said, "Do you think it would be okay if I moved to Texas?" And opened up Jean-Jacques Machado in the Fort Worth area. And he goes, eh, you know, it's my brother's territory. Uh, wouldn't be that, you know, it wouldn't be good. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I understand. And I totally get it. I said, even though that Master Carlos would be like, you know, basically like 45 minutes away. He goes, yeah, it's still, it just, it, he goes, it wouldn't be good. Because imagine if, if you know, like RCJ Machado, you know, came over here and moved, you know, moved in over here. It's kind of like I'm here and Hegan's here. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I understand. I understand. Because then it's not a good idea. And then like six, eight, eight months later, I still go back around after uh, stopping through here with Russell and taking a private with uh, Master Carlos. I approached John Chuck. I said, look, I said, you know, I said, what if? You know, for the sake of my daughters, and if 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 I moved, what do you think about maybe if I were to start training with uh with with your brother, and maybe I would be able to open up a Carlos Machado Academy. You know how much I love you. You know how committed and dedicated and loyal I am, and I'll always be a you know John Jacques Machado black belt. That that will never change. It's one of the proudest moments of my life. Because you know what? Let me talk to my brother, and he talked to his brother, and his brother talked to him. 
And then I came out here for like three, four days, and I met with uh, Master Carlos and with uh, you know with his partner Adam, and trained at headquarters a bit, and also you know because the guys out in Texas, man, they're big and strong, and they go hard, brother. They it is hard training, hard training. There's a lot more space in Master Carlos's than at John Jocks. And the training's really hard. There's a lot more starting standing. The guys that we got like a lot of guys that are like in their upper 200s, low 300s, black belts, you know, brown belts. It's, it's hard, hard training. And wonderful guys, real deal guys, you know. It's just different people than, than back in LA. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, upon John Jock doing a handoff, if not for John Jock, I never would have been here. And I never would have moved. If uh, if not for this opportunity to open up this academy, I never would have opened up Greg Hamilton Jiu-Jitsu. Because like I tell all my students, I said, I am delivering you Jiu-Jitsu from the source. Nobody gives a shit about Greg Hamilton Jiu-Jitsu. It just doesn't matter. What matters is, is that I'm passing on to you Jiu-Jitsu, that I'm learning from an incredibly uh, uh, rich lineage. And I want you to understand that whether white, whether blue, purple, brown, black, you're all Carlos Machado jiu-jitsu students you're a carlos machado blue belt you're not a greg hamilton blue belt or purple belt and i always emphasize this to all my students and they understand this and i'm just a messenger of jiu-jitsu from the source you know what i'm saying just kind of like a pastor is at a, at a church that's uh, that's me and my academy is a uh, is, is is a place of jiu-jitsu carlos machado jiu-jitsu worship and i always tell my students stories about john jock because he's such a huge part of my life and, and, and a man to whom I've learned so much from, bro. I, I just can't, I, I can't even explain to you how much I learned from Jean-Jacques, not only about jujitsu, but a lot more than jujitsu through jujitsu. He's just, he's been an amazing influence on me and a huge, huge. I think that's a pretty good close for the scope of this chat. I hopefully one of very many as, as yes, I- definitely. As I get more updates on you, but for you who's listening, you know, someone like Russell Peters, John Jocks Machado, Carlos Machado, these are like deities and gods of whatever genre career they chose. And for yeah. someone like Greg to be chosen and handpicked by Russell Peters to be somewhat of this security figure, training partner, in trust with someone of that caliber of entertainer john jocks look up adcc and type john jocks machado and you will find this novel novel history marker of of the fight game and then carlos machado who is essentially like this library a congress of jiu-jitsu knowledge einstein of jiu-jitsu brother i mean it's 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 amazing you know what i mean what an incredible accomplishment the whole machado family has bestowed upon the jiu-jitsu community and to help spread jiu-jitsu throughout the throughout the world all five of them are truly amazing thanks for tuning in to the show and please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on itunes we're also available on your favorite directories aside from itunes such as spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in you can find us at believe.com that's B-L-E-A-V-E dot com. And Believe Podcasts on social media. Now, if you want to get at me personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Plug12. That's P-L-U-G-O-N-E-T-W-O. Hit me up and I'll read your questions 
or maybe even have you on the show. Believe in the fight game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.